Hi, everybody. This is the Daily Reflection Podcast, and I'm Amanda. And the same amount of energy that I put into slowly killing myself, I now have to put into saving myself and saving other people. Meetings are voluntary. Having a sponsor is voluntary. You walk into a meeting, two minutes later, if you don't like it, you walk out. You go into one meeting and you don't like it, you go to a different meeting. You go to as many meetings until you find one that you feel comfortable in. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast with your hosts, Michael L. and Lee M. On this show, we try to uncover some inspiration through conversations and interviews with members of the recovery community. We are not affiliated with any 12-step or recovery programs, but you will hear them mentioned throughout the course of an interview. Today on the show my friend Aminda L. from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Before we get to the show, if you're listening on a podcast network or a podcast app like Apple Podcasts, for example, and they enable you to leave a rating or a comment, we would love to hear from you. It's going to do a couple of things. We're always looking for ways to improve. We want to know what you like about the show. And it's also going to improve our reach, possibly even helping us reach newcomers trying to find inspiration for recovery. We greatly appreciate that. And we hope you enjoy this episode. Good morning, Lee. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing great. It is March 30th. How are you doing this morning? Doing fantastic. Uh, End of March. Well, it's great to see you. What's going on for today? So today we have Aminda L. in the studio with us. She's from South Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and she's going to be sharing with us on the Daily Reflection for today, which is our group conscience. Oh, fantastic. Amanda, great to see you. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you on the podcast. Likewise, Mike. Thank you for having me. And thank you, Lee. So we start the show in the same way every day. We have the guest read the daily reflection. Amanda, will you help us get started? Of course. Today's reflection for March 30th is our group conscience. Sometimes the good is in the enemy of the best. Alcoholics Anonymous comes of age, page 101. I think these words apply to every area of AA's three legacies, recovery, unity, and service. I want them etched in my mind and life as I trudge the road of happy destiny. Alcoholics Anonymous, page 164. These words, often spoken by co-founder Bill W., were appropriately said to him as a result of the group's conscience. It brought home to Bill W. the essence of our second tradition, Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Just as Bill W. was originally urged to remember, I think that in our group discussions, we should never settle for the good, but always strive to attain the best. These common strivings are yet another example of a loving God as we understand him. Expressing himself through the group conscience, experiences such as these help me to stay on the proper path of recovery. I learned to combine initiative with humility, responsibility, with thankfulness, and thus relish the joys of living my 24-hour program. Thank you for reading that. Aminda, as you read it, what comes to mind for you first? The first thing that stands out for me mostly is the unity. I mean, recovery was kind of um, obvious for me. I had to put drugs and alcohol down for anything else to happen. In my active addiction, 
isolation was a huge part of my story. I was not like the person in the club popping bottles. I was in the house alone on the couch for 16 hours a day. So recovery was a given. Unity, on the other hand, was a whole new conception for me. So that and service, you know, I was, I was always very much in service for myself, what Aminda wanted, what Aminda needed now, not tomorrow, not five minutes from now, this second. Instant gratification with everything. So uh, unity and service definitely stood out, first of all, for me in this reflection. It says in the second paragraph, uh, we should never settle for good, but always strive to attain the best. What does that mean to you as it relates to the reflection? And maybe even in your in your program of recovery. Well, for me, Mike, this is kind of like a double-edged situation because I come from an upbringing where I always thrived for perfection. And it's exhausting to try to be a perfect human being. My third sponsor always used to say, we do the best we can. And you're doing the best you can. And that is kind of good enough for me. You know, yes, I do always want to uh, grow another day I always I have my own little saying that I believe that when I'm 101 if I live to that long hopefully I'll be on my deathbed still learning you know so I don't think there's ever I'll ever reach a point where I'm like okay I'm done I hope that I'll just be learning until I die but to do good to do better but to also accept that one is human and not perfect I love that and I think that's such a common character trait that probably doesn't serve that many of us have as we come in, you know, this sort of perfection um, as a goal. My sponsor was the first one that I heard say that I walk around with my measuring stick held up here. And I felt like I had to be up there in order to, to succeed. So I love that you just mentioned that because it's been a while since I've really thought about that. But it also brings to mind the concept of progress, not perfection, which is what it says and how it works for us. So how does that show up for you, you know, in your own program and maybe even as you're working with others? To me, how I treat others is always a reflecting of how I treated myself. And being as though when I started recovery, I wanted to be, I, I was a human being that always thrived for perfection. You know, if I had a week and I met someone in a meeting that had a day, I would bring out the baseball bat to bat into their heads what they should be doing. <laughs> If I had a month and I met someone that had a week, I would bring out my baseball bat and thump into their heads, you know, and I thumped that same baseball bat on my own head. I should be doing this. I should be going to 500 meetings. I should have a year. I should this, you know. So it's it's always like a constant reflection really of myself, you know. How I treat others is how I treat myself. So progress, not perfection. Ideally, it's I kind of feel like it goes hand in hand with what we were talking about prior, which is do well, but also accept that we're human. So, you know, baby steps, not to force things on, you know, we do, we do what we can, when we can, how we can. I truly believe that our mistakes are necessary. You know, my mistakes were necessary to overdo it in service. One really funny thing that happened to me uh, in recovery is that, uh, when I got into service, as I am one of those people that always thrive for perfection, I overdid it. And I would be like three meetings a day. I'll do the coffee. I'll do the chairs. I'll greet. I'll set up the tables. I'll stay afterwards and lock up. I'll do everything. And then by a month later, I didn't want to do anything. And instead of acknowledging that I overdid it, now I have a little resentment towards AA. 
because they make me do all these things. But no, really, they suggest, hey, do a little bit, but I want to be the perfect being, so I overdo it, and then I need to chill out. So progress, not perfection. Again, you know, it's like slow motion, don't overdo it, be human, do what you can, and take it easy. I think take it easy for me. I'd like to talk a little bit about your journey. Uh, How long have you been sober now, if you're comfortable? November 3rd will be six years. Well, congratulations. Thank you. And are you comfortable talking a little bit about what was happening six years ago and and, uh, what brought you into the program? The actual straw on the camel's back for me was I used to, at that time, I was a bartender and I used to work in North Philadelphia. And for those that don't know, North Philadelphia is not Beverly Hills. And I used to work in a pretty notorious bar where most of my customers were drug dealers and drug users. Not everyone, but most of them. And I uh, always, when I would be going to my car and coming home or hanging around outside on the weekends, I would always see drug addicts, alcoholics, like walking down the street, talking to themselves. And I always felt, hmm, I'm messed up, but I'm not that messed up. So I'm still safe, you know? But I would always think to myself, what does it, I wonder what it takes to start walking down the street, having full-blown conversations with oneself. That would always somehow fascinate me. And sure enough, a few months later, I was on my couch in my living room and I caught myself, Mike, Lee, talking to myself as I'm talking now, giving pause for the person that wasn't there to respond. So I was like sitting on the couch and I was saying, yeah, I had a really good time at work. How was it for you? And then I would be silent, waiting for somebody else to respond that wasn't there. And I had like an out-of-body experience where I kind of saw out of I kind of saw myself bird's eye view. I kind of woke up for a second and I realized that I was just having a conversation with myself in my room by myself. And that really scared me. And I remembered all the drug addicts and alcoholics that I would see walking down the street talking to themselves. And I said, This is it. If I continue, I'm gonna lose my mind and I might not get it back. So that made me go to rehab. But prior to that, it was the same, you know, very similar war stories and everyone, the slow progression until it got really bad and I needed every day, needed to drink and use every day. And then, um, you know, trying to control it, feeling that I had some type of control, that I would just do it these days, not those days, that I would do this much, not that much, until eventually it was every day and I realized that everything was just falling apart. And then I realized I was going to lose my mind. And that really scared me. So you came into AA via the rehab did the rehab um i guess encourage you to go to aa meetings what was your experience when you came into aa i was i was uh, all on board lee because uh um i wanted it you know i wasn't i didn't have an intervention i wasn't sent i wasn't mandated i went because i want i wanted the help so i attended all the meetings in the rehab They told us to find a temporary sponsor from the alumni that would come to the rehab. I did that. So I had a sponsor before I even left rehab. And the first meeting I went to was on uh, Delancey Street in Philadelphia, round table meeting, I think, you know, kind of around the table thing. And that was it. I did IOP. I went to meetings every day. I had a few relapses. But funny thing is that I... I had relapses, but I still went to meetings. So I still went to meetings, but I went drunk. I still went to IOP, but I went drunk. I still met with my sponsor. (laughs) So I had like nine 
eight toes in, two toes out, you know, but uh, I, I kept going and continuing to go and not take that pause, I think was also what, what helped me a lot, but it was great. So as you came into the program and, and started to work the steps, did you start out from a place where you already had a conception of a higher power? Yeah, that was a hard one because I grew up in a cult and my dad was a cult leader and it was non-religious. My parents weren't religious. They introduced different religions. They introduced us to different religions. And I went to a Catholic school, but I was always very kind of like a non-religious. I still am. I, I definitely am spiritual, but I don't really believe much in religion. So the word God, you know, although it says make your own conception, whatever your belief is, it's still like over the, you know, it, it's still a word which settles into the subconscious and somehow always identifies with religion. So I had to overcome that barrier first. That this is just a word and it can mean whatever I want it to mean before I could really open up the space to that. Because at first, most of my judgment was towards the word and everything that it meant for me. So that was kind of like a bit of a barrier. I do all this, but, you know, I leave the God part to the other people. And then uh, eventually, slowly, you know, you keep hearing all the time, your definition of God, whatever that means for you, your definition, whatever that means for you. And then I started meeting people that weren't religious or different religions. And, and they could still all do the program successfully. And that's when that started kind of uh, being a, becoming a bit more flexible for me to believe that there is something outside of myself. And when I look back at my journey, without a doubt, people, places, and things that were placed in my path by no coincidence whatsoever that led me to sitting here today talking to you, that's definitely not by my own doing. The last line of the reflection says that I learned to combine initiative with humility, responsibility with thankfulness, and thus relish the joys of living my 24-hour program. What are your thoughts on that last sentence? I'll never forget this guy in my IOP. He used to introduce, when we used to go around the circle, he used to introduce himself and say, I can't remember what his name was, but he would say, you know, John Doe, problem with alcohol. And in my mind, I'm saying this guy's in total denial. You know, uh, we all have our little different things of, of saying whatever we want to say to make ourselves feel better. But he left, you know, he he had a year, I think. And he came in one day and he said, hey, you guys, I'm having a new boyfriend. I'm moving to Florida. I have a new job. And he was very happy and everyone was happy for him. But I couldn't when he walked out of IOP, I kind of had this visualization of him walking off into the sunset, kind of waving goodbye to all us AA folk into this happy, new, wondrous life that did not include AA. And about a year later, he came back because he relapsed because he did have this fantastic new boyfriend, fantastic new job, fantastic new life in Florida, but he didn't have a program. And that might kind of really made it clear for me that this is not... I come to AA to get well, and then I walk off into the sunset. This is the lifestyle now. I don't spend 20, 30 years slowly killing myself, get well in a year, and then walk off into the sunset and say, thank you, AA, for saving my life. I'm out. And that was when it really sat with me, the humility of giving back, that it's a cycle of changing my life, of transforming, exchanging one life for the other. And the same amount of energy that I put into slowly killing myself, I now have to put into saving myself and saving other people. 
because whether I realized it or not, when I was slowly killing myself, I was also hurting a lot of other people. Even though I was isolating, it definitely affected other people. So just that exchange really became clear then in uh, what it meant to, you know, be humble, to take initiative, to show up when I'm supposed to, to be responsible, to be grateful for all the people that were placed in my path by, again, no coincidence, and uh, give back that lovely little cycle of life, you know? That's beautiful. So what does your 24-hour program look like? How do you work the program into your life today? Well, amazingly enough, I think I have two people that I know in my whole life now, which are not in recovery, <laughs> still blows my mind to this day. You know, sometimes I'm like, I need to meet people outside of recovery, but it just never happens. And if I do, I'm like, mm, they need a program. So uh, I don't think that's a bloody coincidence. I pray. I meditate. I don't go to meetings seven days a week, but I go to meetings. I have my sponsor. I have sponsees. I'm not a big book thumper type of sponsor. You know, I truly believe I was fortunate in, in giving people space. Things work when someone wants it. So when they need me, I'm here. They disappear. I give a little nudge. That's how most of my sponsors were with me. I was in service. The prison committee was a big thing for me. I loved, used to go into prisons. You know, that's unfortunately not happening now. But that is the service that I like to be in the most. So as we begin to wrap up the conversation, which has just been amazing, thank you. So we have people that listen that are, you know, not necessarily in AA yet. They're probably feeling their way around trying to decide if they even have an issue or not, or maybe they're brand new to AA. What suggestions do you have for them? What's your best advice for somebody who might be sticking their toe in the waters of recovery? I would say of what you said, Lee, that this is not like signing yourself into a crisis center you know, or, or rehab. Meetings are voluntary. Having a sponsor is voluntary. You walk into a meeting, two minutes later, if you don't like it, you walk out. If you go into one meeting and you don't like it, you go to a different meeting. You go to as many meetings until you find one that you feel comfortable in. I think the fear, the fear of not wanting to, to participate in AA isn't really AA. It's the fear we just have ourselves of acknowledging that we need help or that there's a problem here. So... I would say that there's everything to gain and nothing to lose. You know, one little quick philosophy metaphor that my dad used to give me was when I was younger, I was a, a, a real klepto and I used to steal everything from everyone that used to come to the house. And my dad said to me one day, something went missing. And that one occasion that it wasn't me, you know, I was like, I didn't do it. And he's like, okay, but you steal all the time. So until you have about two years of not stealing, you're guilty. And he said to me, if you keep stealing, you're going to suffer because you're going to lose your friends. You're going to have conflict with your family. You're going to feel really bad about yourself. And if you keep doing it as an adult, you might possibly go to jail. If you don't steal, you're also going to suffer because you're going to have to fight your urges and you're going to have to figure out why you stole in the first place. And that's also going to be painful. But you have to think, do you want to suffer for something or for nothing? And AA is kind of the same, you know, when we're drinking, we're suffering like dogs in the pound, you know, it's, it's a lot. If we go to AA, it's also painful because we have to look at ourselves in the mirror. We have to do things we don't want to do. But at the end of the day, what do you want to suffer for, you know, for something or for nothing? And I think it's always worth suffering for something. So is there anything else that you want to tell the audience before we wrap? No, I'm very, very grateful to you guys for having me here. Mike, Lee, I think this is a fantastic idea. When I saw it, I burst into tears and I'm like, yeah, if anyone can do this, 
It's Mike. It fits you perfectly. Congratulations and thank you for the invitation. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you. Thanks so much to Aminda for stopping by. And thanks to you, the listeners. Appreciate your support. If you want to find us online, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash daily reflection podcast. It's all one word, lowercase. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Daily Reflector. You can read about recovery on our blog at blog.dailyreflectionpodcast.com. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day.